Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a new series called Free, and uh, I'm really excited about that and working up to it. And so um, definitely be a part of that uh, when we get into it. Um, last night at 5, we did have a members meeting. We talked about it, just a town hall type meeting, discussed a little bit about the building. Uh, I did put out uh, just some information. You can see uh, the building stuff up there. That is an engineer sketch from when they had built the building way back in eight years ago. I know that seems like almost a decade. It is almost a decade. So, uh, But just the idea we are praying through that and seeing if this is the right time, the right opportunity that God is providing for us uh, to move uh, to some place different. So be in prayer about that. Take one of those sheets, pray over it during the week. That'd be great. Uh, the window sticker he talked about is a great opportunity to advertise Mosaic, and it's not the fact that we want people just to keep, come and see Mosaic. We want you to come and see our God. Uh, and that's what about worshiping together uh, shows, is that uh, God is showing up and showing off uh, for the different things that we're talking about. And today we're going to be talking about biblical community and engaging missionally. Um, it's kind of a new buzzword that's been going through churches uh, missionally. Uh, living out our lives. Uh, you know, if you think about the old missionary with the uh, pit helmet and the shorts and safari and, and uh, whatever, machete, you know, going through, cutting down stuff. Um, but your outfit may be a three-piece suit. You know, it, it may be a uniform that you wear at work. But wherever you live, wherever you work, you are engaged or should be engaged missionally. Because as we've talked about, one of the things that Mosaic is about is leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Acts chapter 2. If you don't, that's all right. We're going to show uh, Scripture up on the TVs. And uh, we're going to look at being engaged, okay, active, and initiating, uh, having the opportunity to share the gospel. Um, I, I don't know what it is about this time of the year, but uh, my body kind of goes in and I have dreams or nightmares of uh, two-day football practices. And I remember those, and I still remember those. And I remember sore muscles and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, how am I going to do this? I, I thought, you know, uh, tragedies, you know, in life are not necessarily a great thing. But when my dad had a stroke, he got this cool little electric gun that uh, you'd plug in and you could touch it to your skin and activate it, and it would draw your muscle up. And it was so cool, we used to play with it, you know, because it's like touching a battery to your tongue, you know, just, you know, and then we put it on the other side, and, you know, and you'd try to fight it and all that. But I found out if you put that on your legs and energize it, it, it helped take the soreness away. And I was like, yeah, we were playing with that. But think about it, football season uh, is coming on, the coaches, they're getting with the teams, they're, you know, picking their players, they're putting them out, and uh, they're training them, right? And uh, they do two-a-days to try to get everything focused and, and try to get that team ready to go. They've been watching, you know, the coaches have been looking at films all summer, been uh, putting their schedule together, getting ready to take on other teams and, and uh, making plans and putting together an offense, putting together defense and specialty teams, all this stuff. And can you imagine the first Friday night you go to the, the, the opening game, okay? You're excited, your team's playing, and uh, they're there, everybody's pumped up, the crowd's full, they kind of want to see what's going to happen, all right? And um, so they kick off the ball, the guy catches it, and he runs a little bit, and, and uh, they tackle him. He, they, you know, the offense comes out, and they huddle up. They get in their huddle. One of the guy goes, all right, what play are we going to run? Quarterback says, well, the coach sent in this play. 
22 sweep. Oh, that's an awesome play. That'll go great against this defense. We've got the great, we got the best, you know, wing back that can do that. You know, this this is going to be awesome. They're high-fiving one another. Yeah, let's let's do that. And all of a sudden the whistle blows and a yellow flag is thrown. And the ref's like, what are you guys doing? We're, we're talking about what we're going to do. Well, you're going to have to do it five yards back. So they back them up five yards. and They get back in the huddle and they start talking and they're like, okay, what other play could we run? Well, the quarterback looks at his wristband and he goes, well, we could run, we could run a 49 sweep if we wanted to do that. And they're like, oh, that would be awesome. You know, or we could do a 34 blast. Oh, that, that would be so cool. I would get the ball. That would be awesome. Let's do that. You know, and so they're in the huddle. They're high-fiving and uh, the ref blows the whistle and throws the yellow flag. And they're like, uh, what are you guys doing? Well, we're, we're talking about what plays we could run and how we could blast that defense out. And the ref's like, you're going to have to do that five yards back. So they back him up five more yards. They get back in the huddle. They're like, isn't our coach great? Isn't he just awesome? He has planned this offense. We're going to blow that defense out. And they start high-fiving each other. They put their arms around each other in the huddle. And they start singing Kumbaya, you know. <laughs> they start singing songs about how great the school, you know, motto, whatever it is. And, and they're doing all that. And the, and the ref blows the whistle. And the coach comes off the sideline. What are you guys doing? We're talking about how great we're going to be, how great we are, and how great a coach that you are, and how you're leading us, and we're, we're going to be great men because of you and all that. And, and uh, the ref's like, you know, hey, back it up five more yards. Well, actually, I tell you what, you guys just need to go to the sidelines. You can talk about how great you are there. You know, we're going to split the difference between the goal line and give the other team the ball. Now, the fans in the, in, in would be going, what? That is just insane. That, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? for a team to do that. We've come to watch some football. We've come to watch some helmets crash. We've, we've come to see who's going to carry that watermelon across the goal line on the other side. And, and the whole idea when we think about that, when we think about that, uh, that would be the stupidest thing that we'd ever witness in our life for a football team to be able to just do that, just get in the huddle and talk. But think about this. You know, it's right for the church to huddle. It's right for us to get together and to encourage and to remind you of the greatness of God, to remember what it is that you should do to be able to be able to equip you to go out and to carry the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. And, and the reason we gather is so that you may scatter. So that wherever you are, you carry the gospel with you. And as you're carrying the gospel with you, it's an offensive movement that, that goes against, okay, the gates of hell. It, it's an offensive movement which helps people to overcome things that may be destroying their life. But it's a tragedy if we just come together and huddle and never move on. Never get involved in the game. What do you call 50 men who do nothing but sit and watch the Super Bowl? The Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I understand. What do you call 15,000 people who gather together and sing about the greatness of our God? Talk about the amazing power of His name. And that His word goes out and it does not come back void who have been encouraged and edified and equipped in every way to batter down the gates of hell, to rescue people from darkness and call them into the marvelous light. 
<coughs> but all they do is huddle. We call that a dead church. We call that a dead fellowship. It's a tragedy. And there are churches all over this great nation where people are going and they're hearing the whistle blow and the proverbial yellow flag is thrown. And you would say it's insane. And you have everything that pertains to faith and godliness. You have been given every spiritual blessing that the Bible says. God has told you that, that they will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. Because He is with you to defend you in every state or every situation that you're in. But all you do is gather and sing and how great our God is and, and all that He can do through you. But if you never engage missionally, that's tragic. Now let's back up. Jesus died. The, the disciples did not go to the tomb waiting for Him to resurrect. They all hid out. They huddled up. But He told them to. He said, you need to stay until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In Acts chapter 1, it talks about that. Or Acts chapter 2, we'll, we'll see. But Jesus resurrects and, and He appears before Mary Magdalene. And, and He goes before the apostles. And He appears to them. And he even shows up into a room of, of, of the men and Thomas who is like, you know, I'm not going to believe till I see Him and touch Him and hold on to Him and all that. Jesus shows up and says, alright, poke your fingers in. And He's like, I know they know that's alright. But just the idea, just the idea that, that they were there, and, and Jesus ascends to prepare a place for us. And on His way out, He gives these great words that as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the what? Earth. I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to scatter. I want you to take the message of what you've seen and what you've heard and take it with you. Now, in Acts chapter 2... We see this, and we're going to kind of read just several different verses through here as we go. But in Acts chapter 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, there were all together in one place. Who was all together? The apostles, the, the people who had been following Jesus, the disciples. Um, not just the twelve, there, there are more. The ladies are there, everybody's together. They're waiting. They're waiting for the Spirit to empower them. And as they're eating and, and uh, together, it says that all of a sudden, as they were together in this place, then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I mean, sometimes it's, it is pretty cool to be out in the woods and, and uh, logging and see a storm front come through and just feel the wind as that front just... But I cannot imagine of what it would be like to be in a room where all of a sudden this wind, this mighty rushing wind is just like a vortex coming through. And, and as they're there, it says that the uh, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the, spirits gave them, as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now that would be a freaky situation, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm just saying. Uh, you know, the power of God to come up on you like that would be totally awesome, but it would also, in the same aspect, be like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, as they were speaking in other languages, now it's Pentecost. Pentecost is a great time of pilgrimage for those who are traveling from other countries, other nations, to Jerusalem to come together to celebrate their God. And people from all over the world have traveled to this one place, in this one city. And so there are thousands upon ten thousands of people there. And all of a sudden, these people, if you see in verse uh, 5 of chapter 2, let's look at this. Uh, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They've all come together. Verse 6 says this, And at this sound of the mighty rushing wind they'd heard, and the languages they began to hear, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. It's like all of a sudden they're hearing French and they're hearing Spanish in their own language and they're, uh, they're hearing, you know, um, African, you know, in their own language. You know, the guys that, that there, there is one language that has a, you know, when, when they do that. I found out roadrunners respond to that. That's how I talk to them anyway. Not Wiley Cody, but that's how I do. All right, but, but they're hearing as they're talking, people speak in their own language. Now, wouldn't that be wild? I don't know if you've ever traveled to other countries um, and if you've ever experienced this, but uh, the idea that when you're in another country and you speak English and you run across another English speaker, uh, that's exciting because you're speaking and everybody else is looking at you like you're talking about them. But actually, you're just sharing the opportunity you get to speak English with somebody in a different country. And then all of a sudden, you know, when, when you come back to your country and, and you're talking about somebody else and you're, oh, wait a minute, you realize they understand your language. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry, you know. But just the whole idea that they're here and they're all of a sudden, they're hearing things in their own tongue from people that really should not be speaking in their mother tongue. Look at verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished and saying, Are not these who are that are speaking Galilean? <laughs> these are not men who have gone off to, to college and studied different languages. You know, they didn't go through high school, you know, taking different languages. Not are not all these who are speaking Galileans? I mean, it was kind of a slam, you know, when you think about it. It was kind of like these guys shouldn't be speaking this. And I love how people come up with different conclusions. Look at verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Look at verse 9. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, all these different languages are being spoke. Okay? Verse 11. Both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes are those who, uh, they're not born Jewish. They're born like us. They're, they're uh, different people from different, but they've decided to, to believe in the God who created uh, them and the God of uh, Israel. And they have proselyted. They have changed over and have followed their religion. 
the, uh, the Cretans and the Arabians, and we hear them telling in our own tongues about the mighty works of God. In that room, they're speaking all these different languages, and they're telling about the mighty works that God has done, which is resurrect Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at the story of Matthew, it wasn't just the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were graves that opened up all over the city. So there were some miraculous things that were happening. It was getting people's attention. And they were hearing about this. Verse 12. And they were all amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13. But others mocking said, they are filled with what? New wine. All right. They're drunk. That's what I think is funny about the conclusion that sometimes people come up with. I've heard drunk people talk. And sometimes it is a different language, but it's not a language that I don't think anybody can understand. <laughs> okay. So, uh, people are perplexed. They're freaked out. They're kind of going, what's going on? I'm understanding stuff about God. This is really cool. And, and others are mocking, going, yeah, these guys are just drunk. But look what Peter begins to do. In verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he addressed them. Hey, come here. I want to tell you something. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. In other words, listen to what I'm saying. All right? Verse 15. For these people are not what? Because... As you suppose that they are, because it's only the third hour. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. You know, I know it's 5 o'clock somewhere, but he's just saying it's, it's 9 a.m. And, and, and these men, even if they were drinkers, wouldn't necessarily be drunk at this hour. We're, we're not that kind of partiers. Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. You know what I think is really neat about this? is that they're not trying to necessarily protect the teachings of Jesus. They're not trying to keep them revived. Now, Peter jumps way back. You know, he jumps back several hundred years, almost a thousand years, to the prophet Joel. And, and he says, this is something that the prophet Joel prophesied about. And let me share it with you. He said, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 18, even on my male servants and female servants in those days will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, not just the religious people, but those who are serving. And those who are serving could be from different countries, could be different nationalities. So it's not just the chosen people of God. Verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. I mean, in the, in the resurrection of Jesus, in his crucifixion, there was an earthquake. Okay. Uh, during the crucifixion, the sky turned completely what? Black in the middle of the day. I mean, this is an eclipse like they've never seen before. And, and so there's all of these things that are going on in this time. Verse 20. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Verse 21. Okay, verse 21. Sorry. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Peter has just spoken the words of Joel, not the words of Jesus, not the teachings that he taught. But he referred back to something that he has heard, okay, taught in the synagogues. God inspired him to speak it. Verse 22, Peter begins to share with them. Now, here's what's going on. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. We're not making this up. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen his mighty works. We've seen him spit in the ground, make a little mud pie, stick it on a guy's eyes, and all of a sudden he saw. We saw people who have leprosy, you know, that their skin was falling off, and he touched them, and they had brand new baby-like skin. Brand new. We've, we've seen God do work through Jesus, and we can prove it. If you don't believe us, ask so-and-so they were there, or ask so-and-so they were there, or ask so-and-so he was there. This is not too long after the resurrection, okay? After the crucifixion, after they've been seeing Jesus, verse 23. Because you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, you what? Crucified. Kind of sticks that dagger in. And then he turns it and says, and killed by the hands of lawless men. I mean, those uh, religious leaders got together and said, we need to kill Jesus. And you know, what about a trial? We don't need a trial. We've already tried him in our minds, the Bible says. Lawless men. They, they didn't care about the law. They just wanted to take care of him because he was messing everything up. Verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it is not possible for him to be held by it. He's telling them. The resurrection, we've seen it. All of a sudden, this has changed. Here is Peter, who days before, maybe weeks, denied Jesus Christ three times. All the other disciples denied him as well. They all ran and hid. I mean, Jesus was alone. He was by himself. They didn't believe you know, there's a, in John chapter 16, it says, after about two years they were with Jesus, it says, Jesus tells them, finally, you believe. And yet they still fled when the times got tough. They weren't at the tomb counting down from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, waiting for Jesus to resurrect. These men did not believe. But now Peter, is something has happened to him that now he's bold in standing before thousands and proclaiming that there is a resurrection. You killed him, but death cannot hold him. There has been a resurrection. We have seen it. It says that even at one point, 500 people had saw the resurrected Christ at one time. I mean, even the disciples went back out fishing again. And Jesus had to show up and call them back in. Feed them lunch. They didn't believe. 
But now he's so bold that he doesn't care what's going to happen to him. He's standing before thousands and attesting and proclaiming that you killed him, but death cannot hold him. And then he spends a little bit of time uh, talking about David. Um, verse 24. God raised him up, or verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Verse 26. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also, who will dwell in hope. Therefore... He says in verse 27, For you will not abandon my soul to hell or Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. Verse 28, For you have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Here he's quoting David, king, the greatest king of all of Israel. Knowing that God told David, Your lineage will be on the throne. Now, it's interesting that in the days of David, after he died, his son Solomon took over. And when his son Solomon took over, he was the wisest king that ever lived. And after Solomon died, there was a civil war that broke out. The, the leader of the Jewish army, okay, Jeroboam, took over and he took... Ten tribes of the north, uh, or ten states, if we want to put it like that. But he took ten tribes to the north and took them with him. But David's lineage stayed in control of the two southern tribes, which included Bethlehem and uh, Jerusalem, the, the city of God. And a guy named Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, took over. Now, what's unique about this civil war is that both kingdoms now that are split had 17 kings. All the kings of the north were evil, the Bible says. The, the ones of David's lineage, some of them were good and some of them were evil. Some of them were great kings and some of them were evil kings. But what he's talking about is the fact that David is attesting to the fact that God made a covenant with him that his lineage will be on the throne. And when you look at the lineage of Jesus, he's from the line of David. He says in verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. You know, people have gone to the tomb of David. They still go to the tomb of David. They leave flowers there. They play homage. They do all this stuff. He was a great man, great king, uh, chosen by the day of God, and he's there. Peter's saying his tomb is there. You know where it's at. It's still, his bones are still in there. David was not talking about himself. Verse 30. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne talking about Jesus. He goes on and he says this in verse 31. For he foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of who? Of Christ. That he was not abandoned to hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. He's talking about the resurrection. Let's go on. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all what? Witnesses. That is making the difference in Peter's life that he is bold enough to stand before thousands and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus because of what we've seen. 
the other disciples of what we've seen. The followers of what we've seen. So he continues to, to go on and he continues to talk about um, David and how he has set all this up. Look at verse uh, 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, this is why you're hearing this. This is why you're seeing this. Because of the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Verse 35. Until I make your enemies your footstool. And he's talking about, not David, he's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 36. Now, Peter breaks and he goes, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Messiah. This Jesus, again, he twists the knife, whom you what? Crucified. Crucified. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the what? Okay. I mean, it, it got them. All of a sudden, they're feeling this pain. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Okay. They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what are we to do? What should we do? And look what Peter says. Peter said to them, what? Repent. Turn. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the what? Yeah, you'll receive this power. You'll receive this seal. Uh, Paul talks about it in uh, Corinthians chapter 12, that we are all baptized in the Spirit. That, you know, and we know that the word baptized means to completely cover. It's like a seal. It's like a symbol, like a, a wedding ring. And that's what Peter's saying. All you need to do, what do you need to do? You need to repent and you need to be baptized. It's pretty wild. Look what, he's, look what goes on. Verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to what? Himself. In other words, this message is not just for the Israelites. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for you that are in the hearing. It's not just for those that have saw. We're not going to stay in huddle. It's for your children. It's for all who you go back to and carry the gospel to. For everybody that you come in contact with. Now, I know a lot of you are not like big witnesses, like, okay, I, I, you know you know me, now we've got to talk about Jesus, okay? And you try to figure out every conversation you have with him, you've got to tell him about Jesus. You've got, to, you've got to punch that in. We're not necessarily wired like that. We're not that type of salesman. But the idea that we do carry the best news, the good news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, not because we've read it, but because we've experienced it. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. We live in the resurrection. We live in the gospel. And it's for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Look at the next verse. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked and perverse generation. <clears throat> Do we live in a crooked and perverse generation today? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's without a doubt. Verse 41. <coughs> So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about how many souls? 3,000 3, souls. Wouldn't that be awesome? I, that, that would be incredible. I mean, but there were thousands of people there. Thousands. I remember our first trip to Africa. The, when we found out that we had the opportunity to go, our church was planning it. Marcia came to me and said, you're going. I was like, okay, you need an experience in another country. And so I go there, and, and we're sharing these little cubes that, that tell the story of, of Christ. It looks kind of like a Rubik's Cube, but you fold it and, and flip it and do all this stuff and going through the process. And it was so cool to be able to walk up to people and, and begin to show them this little cube that had pictures on it. Pictures. They don't have pictures there. For them to have a picture that was very unique, for them to see something like this that we would take for granted, they were like, wow, that is so cool. We'd start sharing with one, and next thing we know, 30 people are, showing, are standing around us trying to see what's going on. And, and we share the gospel story with them, and through an interpreter, we're, we're like, would you like to accept Christ? Would you like to repent and be baptized? And they all say, yes, we would like to do this. And all of a sudden, we kind of, we began writing names down and, and, and taking count, not because we wanted to see how many, but the fact that we wanted to follow up because we would share Christ with them. And then later that afternoon, we'd say, meet at this one place, we'll have a Bible study. <laughs> they showed up. And I was just like, this is crazy. And we had hundreds of people that were accepting Christ every day, it seemed like. And we had over a thousand in, in five days of just sharing Christ. And I was skeptical. I was like, this is kind of almost too good to be true. It didn't happen in America. I mean, we, we beg you to walk an aisle and pray a prayer and get baptized. You know, we bring in special high-powered speakers, you know, to hopefully get your attention that, that this would happen. And, and uh, you know, just invite your friends. We'll get them saved and all this stuff. And all these people are accepting Christ. And it seems so simple and so easy. And, and I was very skeptical. And two years later, I went back. And they were there. They were meeting in, in, in a fellowship, in a preaching point, in a grass hut that they'd put together. And, and the church that we also that we had dedicated, they were there. These people were coming. I don't know if every single one of them were there, but there were hundreds that were there. And then they asked us to go talk to their friends while we were there and share the gospel. And it happened again. Not because we thought, we need to go over to Africa and teach them our ways. They're living on $50 a month or $25. You know, we need to, we need to go and, and help them to be better people. No, we just went over and shared with them what we've seen, what we've heard. That there is a God who loves them, that sent Christ to die for them. If they'll believe, repent, and be baptized. It says um, in uh, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking bread and prayers. They huddled. I mean, what did they do after baptism? They huddled. They got together and they began to share what was taught. 
the words of Jesus. They, they began to share uh, food that they had. They, they broke bread together. They, they sat around meals and, and they began to tell stories. And I mean, I, I can only imagine, you know, but just the idea that people would come together and they're like, Peter, tell us. Tell us some of the things that Jesus taught you. James, tell us. Thomas, tell us. Thomas, what was it like to have Jesus show up in a room where there's no door open and all of a sudden you got to touch him and you're like, ah, I don't know, I want to do that. Tell us that again. That was kind of cool. But they were going through and, and they were teaching and they had fellowship. They were, they were engaged with one another and they were actively involved in each other's life on a daily basis. This is not come together once a week and let's, you know, sing a few songs and pray a few prayers and, and uh, see how each other's week went. This was the idea that they were in, actively involved into each other's life and helping them to grow in their relationship with God. I don't have the responsibility of growing you. I can't grow you. Now, we do have donuts. We, we can grow that away. But just the idea, I, I can't make you grow. I have no control over that. I had a student in my youth ministry, and and uh, she was a little short and a little stubby. And um, the school tried all kinds of they, they wanted to run all kinds of tests on her. Why why isn't she growing? Why why isn't she developing into like a, a normal adult? Well, if you just took a little, one look at her parents, you would go, <laughs> that makes sense. They she was just like them. I mean, the father brought the pickup to me to tune up one time. And uh, it wasn't too long after I'd met them. And I got in the truck to back the truck into the bay to do the tune-up. And there was a block of, uh, a two-by-four block strapped to the clutch pedal. And I thought, well, that's kind of a unique and genius way to, you know, reach a pedal. He was a little bit short. And I said, well, that's a, a neat way to, to fix your clutch. He goes, well, that's for my wife. You looked at her and you went and looked at the parents and you go, oh, that makes sense. But they ran through all these tests trying to figure out, you know, maybe we should give her hormones, maybe we should do all this, maybe we should do that. And, and the parents are kind of fighting and going, look, she's okay. She's not anemic. She's not dying. She's, you know, she is a product of her parents. I, I can't make you grow. You know, you've heard the saying, you can drag a horse to water, but you can't make him drink but you can salt his oats. And that's what we want to do. We want to create environments where it, it engages you to, to get active in growing in Christ, where you're thirsty to grow, thirsty to read the Bible. Because I hope this is not the only Bible that you're getting all week. I hope you're listening to it off your phones or, or listening to podcasts or, or, you know, reading the Bible in the morning. I, I know some of you are really busy and you've got to check your Facebook out in the morning and see what's going on. But just the idea of spending some time with the God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who created you after his image, who has you placed here this time in history. He's equipped you to do the things that you're doing in a way that grows the kingdom of God because you share what he's doing in your life. Huddle up, but don't stay huddled up. Verse 43. The, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They didn't just stay in the huddle. They went out and they did stuff. 
Peter and uh, I think it was John was heading to the synagogue and they were going to go in and share the good news. And, and they were walking in and there was this guy, a beggar, on, on, the, on the sidewalk and he was like, you got any alms for me? You got, got any money for me? And Peter's like, no, I, I don't. But what I do have, I'll give you. And I think this is unique because it was the fact that Peter had been with Jesus. And I don't think he really had a plan how to take care of the poor and the needy. But just the idea that he just he just automatically, instinctively did what Jesus did. I don't have any money, but what I have, I'll give you. Jesus, come with me. And the guy got up and walked. He was crippled. He couldn't walk. But I give you Jesus. Follow me. And he followed. Because what did Jesus do when he came to Peter? He came to Peter, who was mending his nets, and he said, follow me. And Peter's like, okay, follow me. Matthew. Collecting taxes. Follow me, Matthew. Okay. And he followed him. A cripple guy on the side of the road. You got any money for me? Actually, I don't. But hey, I've got Jesus. Come on. He gets up and he's dancing in the church. And he's excited. Because of what God had done strengthened his legs. The guy who couldn't walk, not walk. And people are freaking out. How can the guy walk? Because of Jesus. Many wonders and signs were done. It wasn't just in a huddle how great our God is. It was being active, initiating opportunities to share the good news of Christ. Initiate. Look what he says in verse uh, 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And how did that work? Verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. In other words, they realized their stuff was not their stuff. Their stuff now was God's stuff. They're just stewards of God's stuff. And so what are they going to do with it? Oh, you need something? I need to sell this? Here, let me help you out. My garage is always open. You need a tool? Come get it. Bring it back if you can. I won't be able to find it anyway. I mean, if you've seen my garage, if you find something you need, great, you know. But just the idea they have all things in need. Look at verse 46. And day by day, they were engaged, they were active, they were initiating. Day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I mean, I, and I, I get it. This is a day-by-day -day society. They didn't run down to the, to the local uh, bread store and get bread for the whole week. They went down every day to get their daily needs met. But it's a unique opportunity for us to realize that we don't just live on a weekly or monthly or yearly basis, but the idea that we can, should be engaged daily, involved in people's lives. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with what? All people. Not just those who are following, but with all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's not about just getting and coming to church, walking out, praying prayer. But daily, you can lead somebody to Christ if you'll take the opportunity. 
may not happen daily for you, but just the idea that maybe it's weekly, maybe it's monthly, maybe it's the, it's the idea that what we've considered is like this. We want you to invest into people's lives and then invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. As you get to know them, if they need a relationship with Jesus Christ, invite them into that relationship, the opportunity. If they have a relationship with Jesus, then encourage them to grow. Engage in their life in such a way that it salts their old oats and they want to be thirsty for what God has for them. Day by day. So, it would be insane for us just to come together and sing how great our God is, pray a few prayers, share some words of Jesus, and then leave and go, my spirituality is my spirituality and I really don't want to share with anybody else. My God is my God and nobody else needs to know about my God. That's selfish. He wants you to huddle, to encourage, to edify, and to be equipped. And then he wants you to scatter and engage, become active, and initiate opportunities that God has set for you to share the good news. You never know how that works. I go to a place and I deliver logs and, and one of the brothers goes, I don't know if my brother's saved. I don't know. I mean, they, they live all right together. And he'll say, can you pray for my brother? Sure. Next thing I'm there, I'm, I'm hanging out with the brother. He's like, uh, could you pray for my wife? Could you pray for my son? Could you pray for Sure. Be glad to. And we have conversations about that. I'm just, I'm just there. I'm engaged. They know who I am. It was so cool one day. I walked into the office, and one of the granddaughters comes up and says, uh, uh, "You've inspired one of my cousins." I'm like, "What?" He goes, "He wants to be a preacher logger, just like you." Preacher logger. I was like, hmm, "That's interesting." Never heard really that term before. But just the idea, being engaged, being active, will allow opportunities. Father, we just thank you and praise you for allowing us to have the opportunity to be your hands and your feet. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see what you see, to be able to listen in a way that, that, that you listen, that, that you would give us the opportunity and the words to speak at times when we need to, to share. Lord, when we need to use our hands to, to help out others, when we need to use our feet to carry the gospel to the places that are gone. Pray, Lord, that you would help us in such ways that we would be bold like Peter was because of what you've done in our life. Guys, thank you very much. Don't forget, if you'd like to have a, a window sticker, it's five bucks that just helps us cover God's good print. It's a way to talk about mosaic. Uh, because I can tell you, people go, What's a mosaic? What's a mosaic? And, and a mosaic is this it's broken people coming together to worship God for our beautiful picture of what God is doing in and through us. So, also, uh, the unique thing about the colors, kind of like the colors in the wordless book, it's an opportunity to share the gospel. You can use those colors uh, that are in that mosaic to share the gospel. So think about that. And then also, if you take a sheet over there and pray over, uh, the possibility of a new building. And next Saturday at 5 here, uh, we'll talk about that. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, just an open conversation. 
to talk about.